couple of things. Well, my buddies are preachers. You know, when you've been preaching 40 years, you, you know, you've got friends and you do the same thing. And our best friends, my best friend Phil, I've known him longer than I've known my wife. And uh, we met in college. And he said, you need to, he's a director of missions in, in Cleveland, Tennessee. He said, you need to tell the people two things. He said, I want you to tell me you have a heart for revival. And if you didn't hear that this morning, I don't know what you heard. But, uh, you know, revival is the only hope that our country has. It's the only hope that uh, America has, I believe, with all my heart. And so uh, you'll, you'll hear that a lot if this is what God continues to work in this way. Because we're desperate for him and for him to move. And it's not for new ideas that we can come up with, and new gimmicks or gadgets that we need to power God to fall on us and to demonstrate himself mighty. And he said, I need to tell you the other thing, so I'm taking his advice, that I do write. And I'm not a writer, but I've written nine books. But that's a joke between me and God. I dropped out of two doctorate programs because I didn't want to write a dissertation. <laughs> God's got a great sense of humor. But anyway, uh, and so it does take some time, but it's, it's not a constant thing. And so I just tell you that for you to be aware that it, it is a very unique ministry that uh, I did not plan, I did not go looking for it, but uh, he has done that, and you know, you'll probably see some of those at some point, but uh, that's just two ways God works, has worked in my life that are, that's beyond the calling to preach. Uh, I knew when I was called to preach, but when he starts burdening these others and birthing these other areas of your life, you've got to obey what he says. Anyway. Would you tell them really quickly about uh, about your education and talk about the 40-day revival you told us uh, about last night? All right. Tell them a little bit about that. Uh, education. I got a little bit. And uh, I, I've been to seminary, been college seminary, have a doctorate of ministries degree, but I, I, I just go by Mark or Brother Mark Preacher, whatever you want to call me. I don't necessarily answer to doctor or doc. I've never done that. But, uh, um, God birthed in my heart in about 1989 a, a desire for more. And I hope you understand that. And as I was reading, basically experiencing God with Henry Blackaby, that was the year that that study came out. And he was, a lot of what is in the birth of Experiencing God is based on the 1970 Canadian revival that took place in Saskatchewan, Canada where the two brothers, uh, Lou and Ralph Satara, were preaching. And, and I know both these men. And uh, he started to burden my heart that God would just move. And I was raised in a, you all understand it, in a spirit-filled Baptist church. I was raised where Baptists shouted. I was raised where Baptists didn't care to express themselves in worship. And it was not a big church, it wasn't a little church, but it was a church that understood without the Spirit of God, we don't have anything. That's not every Baptist church. I remember going off to college and, and sitting there thinking, where am I? This said Baptist church, but they're as stiff and as dead as, and I didn't know this song had seven stanzas to one hymn. <laughs> Why do we sing all of them, you know? But, but, but. but I was very much aware that you know, there is the Holy Spirit and he is crucial to our life. 
and he's the one that guides us, leads us, convicts us, directs us, assures us. He's the one that gives you that feeling when it comes of power and, and, and moves in your life. He's the one that gives you the joy. So I was raised with an understanding of, of the Holy Ghost being real. And uh, I say, it's not everywhere. I've pastored three churches my whole life. That's, that's it. And I, the one church I pastored in West Virginia, I had one man tell me that I'm scared of the Holy Spirit. And so you're coming from a guy who's sitting there thinking, you've got to embrace the Spirit of God. And this guy is telling me he's scared to death of the Holy Spirit. That didn't make sense to me. But there's a lot of that out there. Uh, so when God starts to work, you know, his Spirit is, is crucial. And in 89, I'm forgetting where I'm going here, but 89, he began to deal with me about genuine revival. Not just a three-day meeting, a four-day meeting, a week meeting, but a genuine revival movement comes into a church in a powerful way. And so from 1989, and we started pastoring in West Virginia in 1985. So I, I began praying and seeking God in this capacity, and I began to read and I began to study. And there's there a guy named Robert Coleman, and he was a professor at Asbury Seminary when the revival at Asbury took place in 1970 also. I was in a meeting with him, and I heard this man's testimony, and, buddy, it just stirred me even more because it was in conjunction with experiencing God. And uh, so I, I've prayed since 1989 that God just moved. And on two occasions, we've been blessed to know God moving power in one was we were preaching a revival in Florida, and it went 10 days instead of the three it was planned. And uh, God just, I mean, when you're sitting there just singing, and all of a sudden the altar floods with people, you're not appealing, you're not asking, and they just show up and on their face crying out to God. And he just moved with power. And, and I've never been there before, guys. I mean, we think about it, but I've never been in that type of intensity of a moment with God. And uh, he, he showed up. They flew our kids down. Our kids were 10 and 14, 13. And uh, they flew our, our little kids who've never been on an airplane by themselves down because they wanted them to be a part. And when they got there, the first night they were there, they got saved. And so, so people say, what, was that the greatest thing in that revival? It's like I told the crowd last night, no. My kids getting saved was not the greatest part. The greatest part was the presence of God was so strong that, that you could not do anything but tremble or, or lay on your face. That's the greatest part. It's the presence of God. And so when you start realizing there's something greater than seeing your own kids born again, that, that's something. And so we stopped at 10 days because we didn't know no better. And so I talked to Ralph and Lucy Terry who were in the Canadian Revival. They were the preachers at that point. And they said, Mark, you show up as long as God shows up. And so the next year, God sat down at our church in, in East Tennessee, and we met every day for 40 days. We planned a three-day meeting. We planned it over in another building. At that time, it didn't work out. We moved to a brand-new building. It was a multi-purpose uh, building, and we showed up for revival meetings, started, hadn't tested the lights, the sound system. Nobody had a seat, didn't know if air conditioning, the heat was going to work or anything. That was the first day we showed up for church. We had revival. And I remember the first Sunday morning, I was sitting there saying, okay, God, what's up? Nothing's moving. Nothing's happening. One lady, about 20 years old, came to the altar, prayed, went back to her seat, 
and, and we had already been postponed a week. There was a death, and the, the, the preacher who was coming to preach in his church, uh, the county sheriff, was killed in the line of duty. He had to do a funeral, so we had to postpone it. That's why we're in this new building. But that night when we showed up for church, we're, si we're singing maybe the second song, and all of a sudden during the singing, people just started coming out. And it's a hardwood gymnasium floor, and you could hear those click, 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 those high heel shoes, the shoes walking. And, and next thing you know, from it's a 50-foot-wide uh, stage. From one side to the other, you've got people laying on their face, crying out to God, begging God, seeking God, asking forgiveness of God, going to friends they've offended, they've hurt. That lasted for two weeks like that. And then at that moment, see, it's like a dam breaking. The, the intensity comes with that first rush, but then after that you had the same water, but you did not have that intensity for the next 30 days. But we had people showing up at church at 8 o'clock in the morning, 7.30, before they'd go to work. They'd come into the sanctuary just to pray, seek God. At 12 o'clock, another group would come by on their lunch hour. They'd just to pray. I, I stepped into the building. I'd see people shouting, raising hankies. You know, just running up through the aisle. I know we're, we're getting Pentecostal now, but, but, but if people were expressing and loving Jesus. At 4 o'clock, they showed up for church. It started at 7 o'clock at night. We'd have church till 11 o'clock at night. You do this for 40 days, you don't know when you do laundry. You don't know when you cook dinner. You don't know how you get your kids ready for school. But there ain't nothing keeping you back from not getting to the church house. Because God was there. And it lasted that atmosphere for 11 months. And so that's my, my desire. And, and it's through that God's opened doors and opportunities for me to, to share, to preach, you know, around the world, literally. And uh, I, I love to train pastors, to encourage them, to share with them. And uh, we, we just want to do what God wants us to do. Anybody got any? Go ahead. Uh, no, now we're going to yeah. give you guys already one yeah. few questions. What we're going to do, if you've got a question, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Paul is back here, and so is Brandon. They've got microphones. Uh, they can bring the question to uh, bring the microphone to you. Uh, so I see question one right here. I'm pretty much a team player when it comes to leadership. I'm not a micromanager. I don't want to be in control of everything. I don't know everything. I just want competent people around me that are doing what they feel like God has called them to do. And uh, if you're competent and you're doing in the area where you feel God has led you, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a good thing because you know, I don't want to run everything like that. I don't. And... Uh, if you ask me, I'll tell you straight out. Usually I don't have people saying, do you think Brother Mark meant this? Because usually if you ask me, I'm going to tell you. You know, pretty straight, I'll shoot with you. Uh, my ministry concept is all based on, you know, the Word of God. You know, we've got we've to preach, we've got to pray, we've got to seek God's face, corporately, privately, personally. And we come together for a worship that is, you know, Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting. And we just ask God to give us more and more and more of a hunger every day. I do believe discipleship is crucial. I think, uh, you know, trying to encourage and aid people and equip them in their walk of faith. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. 
But there's at some point the light switch has got to go on in a Christian's life that says, I need to go deeper with God. And all we can do is make that available and say, here's some, here's, here's some tools that you can use and you can make applicable in your life. But prayer, discipleship, and, and uh, God-honoring worship are the three areas. I, I'm a team player. Uh, I think I have a shepherd's heart. And shepherding sheep is not always simple or easy or fun. <laughs> is that all right? They bore. I keep going. Yeah, anyway, all right. Yeah. All right. Next question. Speaking briefly with you this morning. We talked a little bit about mission work, your experience with missions in different places. There are a lot of people here in this church who are very mission-minded and mission-oriented, whether it be local missions or international missions. If you don't mind, would you tell us a little bit about your experience and your leadership with the missions you've done in the past? And if you were to come here to Grapevine Church, can you tell us what you would foresee from missions here for Grapevine? I think missions is the heartbeat of part of discipleship and I think that what we learn and what we see we apply it by making ourselves available to do missions and be involved in missions and, and, and sometimes it's easy to do a mission trip elsewhere and that's a dangerous thing and I believe in elsewhere but you have to start locally at home and you, you, you do missions right here where we live and, and whatever thing that looks like uh, a couple of things that we do where we are now is we do a, a once a month a community meal where we provide a meal and offer it free to anybody in the community who wants to come eat. And so we've got a team that comes in, cooks the meal, prepares the meal, and at six o'clock they show up and they line up. I think last week we last whenever last whenever we did last we had eighty people come in for just a free meal right before the holiday at Christmas time. And uh, when they all get set down, I preach to them. I don't, you know, they sit there, they can eat, and, and, and I preach and share with them the gospel, and then I encourage them to respond. I, you know, they can talk to them in the kitchen myself, and, and just some basic things like that. And so we do that once a month. We also are involved with a, a local school that we've adopted, and we, we supply groceries there for them to take home every weekend for the kids that don't have food when they go home for the weekends, as well as the backpack ministry. I think that you all are part of. We utilize that. We gave... 700 backpacks to our elementary school the first of December and the school allows us to pray with all the classes and different things like that. So local missions is important and it may look, it, it may not even appear to be a mission that you think you're involved in but it's a ministry opportunity that you have locally and if God burdens your heart in this area, that's wonderful. But understand, not everybody gets a burden in the same spot locally. And so you can't project, because I'm doing this, you all got to be doing this too. But you got to find that spot and you got to feel it. Then, then going beyond local, you all know mission projects, mission trips, those are tremendous. I, I found over the years that, my, speaking for myself, taking men on a mission trip has radically changed some of our men's lives. Because for the first time, carpenters and bricklayers and, you know, plumbers realize I can serve the Lord with the trade that God has gifted me and it is a gifting the way some people are able to 
put wires together and bring electricity and put pipes together and get water. There's a gifting in those areas that is unique, that is needed, and there's, there's needs all around the world. And, and then internationally, you know, I was in uh, Africa this last November. I was in Kenya. I was in Nigeria. And normally what I'm doing there is I'm, I'm training pastors. And we go in, and we had 80 pastors in Kenya show up. We had a two-day crusade in conjunction. Had about 30 people saved in two days. We have a medical mission team that we've gone into Haiti for the last eight years. None of our people that go in are doctors. We don't even have nurses at this point, but we go in and they, they work in the, the area because they, they, they work at, a, at schools and they, they, they take every child who's enrolled. There's 1,800 kids enrolled, so you're seeing three and 400 kids every day and you're doing weights and measures. They get presented the gospel, every class that comes through, different things like that. But the opportunities, they're life-changing for a lot of ways. And, and I've seen people go, and it's not impact. They say they're changed, but they come back and they go back to the same old, same old. But when you, you start realizing in these places what they don't have and how much we have, there's, there's a responsibility that we have to assume and, and say, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll do. And I go until God says no. We haven't discussed this with our kids yet, all right? So our kids, nobody knows this. My dad's 88. He doesn't have a clue. My daughter's 27. My son's 25. And part of it is you don't want to express too much that you say you can't share this with anybody, and they slip up and share it, and it just creates a mess down the road. If for whatever reason God put a stopper up all of a sudden, there's no need to cause anybody more stress. But we will have to address that. They will not be excited. I mean, they're going to be stunned. But they're very fully aware that this has always been out there. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, a lot of people probably spent the afternoon trying to find out all we could about you. Uh, I'd be interested to know about your dog tail video. <laughs> I, I spent the afternoon watching some of those. And I really oh, my gracious. Them. You didn't watch our Christmas play, did you? I hope not. Cause that's, Malcolm saw that the other day, and I said, surely you didn't watch that thing. <laughs> you want me to talk about dog tails? All right. Dog tails, I've kept, I've got a boxer. You know that look you was talking about in Sunday I school? Know, I, know. I know you know it when you got home, when you started oh, yeah. talking that area you went into. Yep. Yeah, man, I was, I was cheering you on, brother. Yeah, yeah. My son comes in two years ago, three years ago, and says, I want a dog. Now, we've got three already. We had four, and our other boxer passed away. 
my wonderful, lovely, beautiful wife said, I think that's a good idea. I said, honey, you don't even like dogs. I'm the dog person. I love dogs, all right? I said, I'm going to tell you what, my, our son was 21 at the time. I said, he don't have time for a dog. He raises cattle. He's, he works a service truck. He tries to be a professional fisherman and golfer and a hunter. He does all, he has no time for it. But it's a good idea. I said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get a dog. I'm going to love it. I'm going to take care of it. It'll become my dog. No, it'll be responsible. I was being a prophet. <laughs> So anyway, I've got this dog, Maverick. And Maverick and I, we live at the base of the Cumberland Mountains. We, have, we live out in the country. We've got four acres, but behind us is 500 acres that go straight up the Cumberland Mountains. And so Maverick and I, we go walking about every day. And so once a week, I do a thing called dog tales. And it's a, usually I try to bring a spiritual application with a dog. And, and what happened is, and, and I'll probably share one of them tonight before the message. But uh, the first one that we put out there, I said, Char's the one that pushed me on this. But I told her this would be a nice thing to do at some point, like a devotional. And she said, well, it, we had 3,000 hits, the first one. And I thought, these people have lost their mind. <laughs> we usually average about 500 hits a week now. And it's crazy. But I'll just walk out. It's like one time I talked about Maverick and the skunk. You know, you can figure out your spiritual lesson there, can't you? You don't mess with some stuff, right? No, yeah, know. yeah. And even though you get away, it might linger. Yep. See, 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 this is what dog tails are. But it, it's just a simple thing. But I'm amazed at the response. I've got people from Nigeria now watching dog tails. Oh, Lord. Well, please don't. Please don't. Yeah. Skunk was actually my favorite. Because <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> well, we had to put one of our, we had four dogs. We had to put one down two weeks ago. And that dog was 15 years old plus, And that was a challenge. And so my wife says we'll never have any more dogs after these pass away. Right. Yeah. But that's dog tales. It's just an outreach tool, and that's something that you can do anywhere you are, and it's just, you know, let people see. Yeah. I'm one of those that went home and searched, All watched right. some YouTube uh, videos of your ministry, mm -hmm. and I loved it. I preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I preach Wednesday night. Just like you're preaching. Ah. Do y'all know that you preach the Lord? No way. I'm not always as intense. I mean, when you're preaching on marriage and the family, usually I'm not squalling at people, all right? So, but you know, I am a preacher, and so, and there is a difference between preaching and teaching. 
and I am a preacher, but I do think in the process of preaching, I can I teach. But then there is a mode where you are teaching. Yes, sir. As a member church of our association, called Little Bell Association, 49 churches together, I'm asking this to Brother Bill. What is your view, our relationship, concept, whatever it may be, of the church in the association? I think the association is a great opportunity for church. It's the basic of doing together what we can't do by ourselves. I've been a moderator, assistant moderator, youth director, no longer that have to qualify. I've been, the, I've been every position. I've been here at this church 26 years, so every time they need a spot, they've filled me in with it, typically. So I've had most every hat on in the association, and I, and I think it's vital. Usually larger churches do not need the association, they think, as a smaller church, but the association desperately needs the larger churches' support and encouragement all the way around. But I think it's one of the best tools that we can come together and unite as a community because, see, we're in Grapevine community, and there's a lot of churches in this county. There's a lot of big church buildings in this county across denomination lines. But there's got to be a place where we can unite together with other Baptist brothers and even other denominations, and we come together and we pray and we seek the face of God for this county because Baptists are not the only ones getting in. There's others. And there's going to be some Baptists that are surprised that they ain't made it. All right? But, but, but I think the association is one of those things that's got to constantly be developing. How is it going to be impactful to the area that it is ministering in? And the association is dependent upon pastors encouraging, you know, the people say, we need to really take a look at this and support and, and to go forward with, with these areas. Amen. You got any music ability? <laughs> well, uh, for 22 years, I was full-time music minister at our church, and for the last um, couple of years, I've been a part-time, and um, and I actually have three jobs now, so. You know, I, I, I haven't had any, like, uh, you know, college training or anything in music, but it's always been a part of my life. And she does Lord, have a teaching degree. I do, yes, but. I do have a teaching degree. And, um, but um, I, I love music. I, I do. I love music. And, and that's what I've done for 22 years. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> why you're considering even coming to Grapevine. Hmm. Because the Lord's not said no yet. When they when they contacted me I think that's what it was. You all contacted me. You tried to send me an email. And then he called me because I didn't respond to the email. So I didn't get the email. They didn't put the little initial in the email. 
And so I told Charles, I got this church pile of me. I said, I think I'm going to ignore them. You need to pay attention to this because God may be trying to speak to us. Five or six years ago, we'd have said, oh, yeah, yeah. But our church is in the best shape it's been in a long time. But I do know that I said, God, if you'll let us stay to get our kids raised, I would appreciate that. He, he beyond answered my prayer. And I said, wherever you want us to go, I just want to be useful to the king. And 26 years is a long time. And in 26 years, you can get comfortable. And your church can get comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with comfort as long as we don't get too comfortable. And so I just want to say, Lord, wherever you want, you know, we're open. And whatever you want to do, because you, you, you do realize that it is a costly decision for us when you're saying we're going to leave our kids, our grandchild, leave my 88-year-old father, leave our home we built and we're going to come to a place where we've never even been before. It's one of those things God's better tell me. Yeah. And, and like I said, when I say there's no stoppers, you know, so I told Bear, I said, I said, I won't lead you on. I said, if God says I put the stopper, I'll stop. And, but he's not stopped it yet. So, so the longer it proceeds, the more you begin to get inclined thinking this is liable to happen. Yes. In basketball. And I can't understand how Kentucky was rated so high in football. There's something wrong going on here, right? It shouldn't be that way. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And there's the stopper. <laughs> but there's no red as far as that color in it. I mean, we don't know anything about red. That, uh, I just made everybody mad. <laughs> I just lost the vote.
Sunday school was never designed as a discipleship area, but that's what we have utilized it for later, or past years, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sunday school is designed for outreach, and it, it may need to have shifted as it has. There's nothing wrong, like I say. It's harder when you're doing it in Sunday school to invite somebody new to Sunday school and start in the middle of, you know, 12-week study or on week number eight. But uh, I think any way you want to do it, I think that, you know, Sunday school is that time where you're going to engage people, whether you're using discipleship material or Sunday school material. Uh, it's one of those areas where even the Southern Baptist Convention has, I don't want to say they dropped the ball, but uh, we, we've sent from our church Several years ago, we sent nearly every other year our Sunday school leaders to Ridgecrest, and they received training in how to deal with the areas, teaching age, different things like that, class ages, development. And Ridgecrest was a great opportunity for Sunday school teachers, leaders to go to and learn some basics about how it's a good way to present the Word of God. And I say we've dropped the ball. They don't even offer that week anymore. And, and that's, a, that's a sad thing, but if people are not utilizing it, I understand why. And the association used to work in that area. I think it was in Sunday school associational leadership training, somewhere like that. When we were in West Virginia, we had a assault team, which was association leadership training, which went in and helped churches develop Sunday school leadership. And so I think it's crucial and uh, you know, it, it all goes back a lot of times to the teachers who take time to, to study the lesson, to get into the lesson, and to pull out truths and, and questions that engage the people. And, and there's some things that we can do that can, can help there because there's resources that are available. Now, discipleship, what, what we have done is, uh, I'm a big fan of experiencing God. I've probably taught 30 to 40 groups through experiencing God. I've had over 120 people through experiencing God that I've led myself. And uh, I think it's a basic foundational starting place. I, I think that's good. I think master life is tremendous, but it's one of those things that's in a shelf somewhere gathering dust. But it's a tremendous discipler. But it all goes back to people being willing to commit the time. What I've done lately is, uh, and, and what I try to do Personally, we'll do this on a Thursday night or a Tuesday night oftentimes, is we'll offer, a, it's a separate class and people will come, but, but I've been doing book reads, and I, I find if I don't like the book, I'm not going to teach the book. And so if somebody says, oh, you only do this in discipleship, if I didn't get anything out of the book, I'm sure not going to make you endure it. But if it speaks to my heart, I think we need to look at this together. And so I've offered book reads where we'll come together. We'll have anywhere from 12 to 20. And I'll say, okay, you've got to read three chapters a week. We're going to meet on Thursday nights, and then, then we'll just go over it. And so you're not filling out homework, but you've got to read the material. And I'm going to ask you questions. And it's just picking your brain, and, and everybody's sharing. We have prayer time together. But it, it's getting that hunger for people. And, and there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. But uh, you you all, all I can do is take the spoon and get it right here. you got to open your mouth and let it go inside. And so, you know, you can't force it. But discipling is essential. And I think that's one of the areas we're great at uh, trying to evangelize. But once a person is saved, they've got to go beyond just the excitement to where we, we equip them to face what's coming in life. And it, it's getting into the Word of God and the Word of God getting into them.
this side has kind of been in my blind side, so yeah, I knew that one had a question. I did not want to get in trouble. Is this for you? No, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When I do this, it's because I don't hear good. And uh, so I'm not being rude, but I kind of get to the best spot where I can hear you. Because the ear doctor told me it was going to be $5,000 for hearing aids. And I said, I'm going to probably say pardon for a long time. So, I, you know, you get older, your eyes go, then your hearing starts going. So I'm leaning, I'm trying to hear you. Uh, translations of the Bible. I've read probably 20 from cover to cover. Part of my disciple or my own personal uh, discipling is I would take a different translation every year and read through it. And I preach out of the King James Bible. Sometimes it's been the New King James Bible. But uh, if you want to discuss any translation, I'll discuss it with you because I've read every one I can get my hand on from cover to cover. And there are some that are better than others, and there's some that are pretty weak. But you can get saved with about any of them. And so, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and say, this is what you've got to use, and this is what you should be doing. But there are some that are better than others because when, when some leave out verses completely, that's a big caution right there. Because if you're reading verse 37 and all of a sudden they ain't got verse 37, they're going, what's wrong with my Bible? So you need to look at things like that because there are translations that leave complete verses out. And so uh, anyway, by study, I'm an avid reader. I mean, I, I read a lot. Uh, I probably read 150 books a year. And I'm not saying that bragging. I just read one chapter a day. And that's another thing between me and God. I hated reading when I was growing up. I wanted to play ball. And uh, I was, at one point, God just flipped the switch in my brain. And all of a sudden, I just, I, 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 so I'm an avid reader. And, and that's where it helps me. Because you see, if you're being preached to, you're getting fed. So I've got to get fed some way. And so when I read, I get fed spiritually. And you find nuggets that you normally don't see just by reading the Bible through or whatever you're doing with it. You find insights to other people. I've read commentaries from cover to cover uh, just reading through. And, and, and I take notes. And I write down good sermon ideas, different things like that. And, and when, I, when I do sermon prep, I've been sermon prepping for... 40 years, and, uh, and and I'm not saying this braggingly, I asked God to let me preach a simple message this morning, let me preach something I've preached before, it would be so easy, I'd never preach that message I preached this morning, till this morning, I, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, this is too much for these people, not everybody can handle me, and I'm quoting my wife from about an hour ago, all right? Because, you know, I preach hard. I understand that. But you only, you, you're preaching the gear God gives you. You know, and I can't be this person or that person. I can just be who I am. But, but when God took us to West Virginia, we were in Pioneer Missions, and the town had 1,000 people. The county had 7,000 people. It don't take a whole lot of pastoral care for a two-family. I mean, we just wanted to hang out and go squirrel hunting or something, you know? And, and, and so what, what he taught me was in West Virginia, he, 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 he corralled us away from everybody we knew, loved, and cared about. We had two families. He gave us time to learn how to pray. 
He gave us time to learn how to study. Because, see, if I'd have gone into a situation that was so busy and I've got to be here and I've got to be there, you know, that, that's what gets pushed to the back burner of most preachers is study time. And so God has blessed me in a way that I didn't understand to give me a time to learn how to study, to learn how to pray, because I wasn't busy doing all these other things that really don't matter. Because when it comes right down to it, most people who have a heart for God, they want to hear the Word of God. Now, they want me to come by and visit them at the hospital if it's appropriate and things like that, but 99% of you, you may never be need a hospital visit, but you want the Word of God brought to you. And that's the number one goal and responsibility that I see that I have as a pastor is to preach the Word of God, to feed the flock of God, to equip the people of God to stand in faith to face life as it comes at us. So, I don't know. All right, we've gone over a little bit, but we'll take one more question. If anybody has one more question. Make it easy. One once, twice, twice. three times. Oh, wait. Oh. Okay, that was quick. You're about right. Should God lead you to be our new pastor? Do you have an estimate uh, as far as a time frame of when you would be here? Hmm. Answer, yeah, answer that. that. We're still, we're not to that point yet to, to make that decision. And we've talked briefly about it, but I don't want to put Brother Mark on the spot. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's something that we will have to make a decision after next week after your vote. Uh, and based on what we've talked about, I think that's, that's putting him in a bad spot to try to put him to answer that question just yet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on not having to do that. So, no, we don't. Yes, we do. Maybe. We're, we're, there, there's so much, there's so much, he, he's got such, you know, you've heard him talk about his family, his church family, there's so much going on here, there's so many people that are affected by this that we don't want to do anything that's going to cause any more trouble than, or harm, than, than, you know, it's going to be hard for his family no matter how we do, so we're just, we're going to hold off before we figure out a time. Whenever it is, our church says a 30-day, what's that word, resignation time? I mean, no, that's why our bylaws say where I am, it says you give a 30-day note. So whenever it happens, you know, there's a 30-day window that I have to honor. All right. Let's, uh, we got about 10 minutes before service starts, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a, uh, take just about a 10-minute break. Let, uh, let you guys get uh, situated in just a second. We'll pull it back up, and then we'll start our services at 6 o'clock. So you guys are dismissed.